who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Even hardened genre fans will find themselves whimpering at each new revelation. Publishers Weekly. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. Infected is a marvel of gonzo in-your-face up-to-the-minute terror. Lincoln Child, New York Times best-selling author of Relic and the Pendergrass series. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Warning, this week's Drabblecast comes with an explicit content label. It's a story concerning The Walking Dead, and probably one of the more visceral and graphic tales we've run on the show. If that bums you out, we've got a slightly more family-oriented alternative for you over at our Drabblecast B-Sides podcast, called Snuggle the Dead. Go to Drabblecast.org, hit the B-Sides link at the top of the page, and subscribe or download from there. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 194. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, to celebrate the New Year's Eve hangovers we all no doubt have, it's Zombie Week here on the Drabblecast. Two very contrasting tales of the undead brought to you in one... ...kind of week. Like I said earlier, a great B-Sides episode out in the B-Sides feed for you. Go subscribe to that puppy if you aren't already. Random, semi-frequent stories and content that all Drabblecast fans are sure to enjoy. This B-Sides story, Snuggle the Dead, was written by our own associate editor, Matthew Bay, and has been sitting in a folder patiently awaiting production for months now. I think you'll enjoy it. This week's feature story on the Drabblecast is a bit longer than the usual flash and short stories that we run on the show, but it really grabbed me and ate my face when I read it, so we went for it anyways. We bring you A Distant Sound of Hammers by S. Boyd Taylor. Mr. Taylor's been published in such venues as Cheezine and Farago's Wainscott, is a Writers of the Future semi-finalist, and is a BA in creative writing. This year, as first pro sale, Teddy Bears and Tea Parties received numerous nomination votes for the Nebula Award, but did not make the final ballot. Which is too bad, because I personally thought it was a phenomenal piece of writing. We actually ran it on the Drabblecast almost this exact time last year, in episode 146. You can go download it from our fan archives, especially if you're into vampire teddy bears filled with grape jelly. 
Our story this week is read to you by the fantastic Kate Baker. Kate is the podcast director for the Hugo winner and Fantasy Award nominee Clark's World Magazine. She's also narrated for Starship Sofa, Escape Pod, and Fantasy Magazine. When not submerging herself in all things science fiction and fantasy, she's also been known to be a mother of three, an administrative professional, a gamer, and a newly published writer. Check her blog out at anaedream.com. That's A-N-A-E dream.com. So, without further ado, we bring you A Distant Sound of Hammers by S. Boyd Taylor. light floods down over the Cragmore slaughterhouse sign, and thirty feet below me the gates part wide, like a huge and starving mouth. Then pours forth the herd, mankind in all its putrid filth, naked tangles of arms and legs and mats of hair, living flesh like I once was, breathing, blood pumping, unrotten. How good they would taste. How divine. Careful, Jody, Big Al Cragmer says. He smiles, but half his face is missing where it was eaten off during the awakening. Don't let too many through. They're like rats. Kill each other if they're too crowded. I throttle back the lever, and the metal grill swings up from the floor, but the rush of flesh pushes forward and does not stop. Perhaps they sense escape. Sour desperation tingles the stink of their sweat. Two women throw themselves on the gate between the two pens and climb, arm over arm, hand over hand, tallow-skinned monkeys. You ever see what happens when they do that? Big Al says. I shake my head. My first day. The two women climb faster. Their atrophied arms shake and their necks are corded under the layers of fat. Somehow they keep going. Perhaps they can sense the doom upon them. I don't know what is about to happen, but by Mr. Cragmore's smile, it must be awful. He puts his hand on a large red button. Inquisition put this in way back when the government ran things. I thought about taking it out, but I only stock grade D meat. Under six or over 46. It either comes in the door old or it never gets that way. Can't ship them alive, so they're sickly. So we chop them up here, salt them, and roast them a bit. I feel ill. Roast them? That's illegal. Just a little. Breaks down the aftertaste. The weight of the bodies doesn't slow the gate. It must be designed for dozens of such climbers. Inch by inch, it slides upright. Near its apex, one woman swings over the top and hangs for a moment with her legs dangling. Then, the gate clunks into place, and Big Al presses the button. A sizzle hits the air. Arcs of blue light eel across their bodies. Both women jerk. Smoke pours out of their skin, curls into black claws in the shapes of crows. Coats my dead lungs with oil. Big Al's lips part, and from them issues forth a fart of laughter. Neither of the women are Z's. I know that. 
They're just food, cattle, but what I see bothers me. The spasming necks, the arms twitching at odd directions, the unholy way their bodies dance. I was human once, but for a bite on a street corner, that could be me. You're ruining the meat, I say. <laughs> Just a couple of sides. But the gate's blue lightning reflects in his dead eyes and his laughing stops. Perhaps a sympathy like mine has come over him. He punches a yellow button on the wall, and both bodies drop at last, one back into the breeding cell and one into the holding pen. The living below us assault the corpses. Skin peels back in red sheets. Blood paints fingernails, arms, teeth. Bones are raised high with ligaments dangling. My belly trembles. Big Al is entranced. The hunger has us. We are poised, ready to leap down among the stock, but we hold back. To Al, this is money, investment. To me, this is my job. But Z Almighty, how long has it been since I've tasted human? Now, for the good part, Al says. The good part? He hits a green button on the wall on the floor and the holding pen starts to spin and sink in the middle. Great overlapping plates of leather tilt, funneling the panicked crowd into a pit. Kragmer tosses me a sledgehammer and hoists another onto his shoulder. Hammer time. You can keep what's left on your shirt. Lap it up good. Keeps a feral at bay. Just don't bite the cattle. I open the refrigerator and stare into the pale lighted depths. Cubes of flesh, some pale, some red. Bottles of urine for flavor. I try to remember if this is how we ate in the old days before the awakening, but there is only a void in my skull. I don't know how long I was feral, but there are barely any memories left. I remember my mother. Somehow I still knew who she was after the change. I knew her. I loved her. I grab the tray of chicken cubes in the urine and try not to remember that night so long ago. It wasn't my fault, I know. No one can resist the madness of hunger. Mm. She tasted so good. They all do. So good. Just can't stop biting. My belly knots and I know I need flesh. I shovel in a mouthful of raw chicken cubes, take a swig of the urine. It's not good. Not anywhere near how my mother tasted. I remember the feeding frenzy in the cage this morning, flesh like a red curtain, bones with tendons a dangle. Part of me feels ill. Another part is starving. I see her at work the next day. She looks like my mother, except too old and too fat. She sees me staring at her as I bring the slop bucket to her cage. A fire lights in her eyes. Jody? I tilt the bucket to dump the slop through the bars, but she reaches out, touches my hand. Jody? Jody, is that you? God, it's been decades, and you look just the same, she says. My stomach knots. Is she just reading my name tag, or does she really know me? 
Hunger rises like it did last night, only stronger. I knock her hand away. Jody, it's Mandy, your sister. You've got to remember me. I never had a sister. I didn't, did I? Everything before the change is so vague, bits and pieces. Jody, you have to help me. Get me out of here. I'm starving and she looks so tasty. I could steal her. I remember the taste of human flesh and my jaw unhinges. The savage hunger rises hot in my soul. Stop talking to me. You're just cattle. I'm not cattle. I'm a person like you. Hell, I'm your sister. I don't have a sister. Jody, look. Look at my hand where you bit me. Remember that? Her hand is purple and scarred all over with teeth marks. She leaves it in front of my face almost as if she is tempting me. You have to remember. Something flutters in the back of my mind, a vague hint of memory. My fever cools. My jaw slips back and hinge. You're lying. You'd be a Z if I bit you. You mean, you don't know? Know what? There's a cure for the disease you have. It's been around for years. It's not a disease. It's the afterlife. Really? Is that what the church tells you? She reaches out, closes her scarred hand around mine. Do you like it? The rotting, the desperate, fevered hunger? Life's not like that. The disease makes you this way. It's not a disease. Yes, it is. Shut up. Just shut up. Don't you ever talk to me again or I'll put you next on Hammerline. I yank my hand away. My whole body crawls all over like maggots are eating me. I feel something I cannot remember feeling ever before. Fear. No. Terror. Absolute freezing cold terror. Jody, you have to believe me. I do believe her. That's the problem. I told you to shut up. Come back. I can cure you. We could run away to the resistance. My legs want to fly to run me away from the heresy I'm hearing, but I want to hear it. You can't cure the dead. You're not dead. None of you are. Not entirely. I run. I am in my apartment again, sitting in front of the nightly Church of Z broadcast. I can't raise my eyes to it, though. For the first time since my awakening, I feel distance from our Lord Zachary. I am unclean. A heretic, a traitor, stained inside by the words the human woman spoke as if by oil. What if she's right? What if I really am alive? What if we all are? What if there are millions of other people walking, talking, people just like me, penned up in corrals, bred and fattened for food? Oh, but see, they taste so good. Another hymn begins on the TV and I stand and turn away and look at my apartment, the greasy carpet, the pre-awakening refrigerator. 
I go to my closet stare in at the clothes. All the same, every pair of jeans spattered with gore from the slaughterhouse and stained where I licked them clean. Every shirt the same shade of Cragmore's slaughterhouse red to help hide the stains. How many have I killed so far? Raise the sledgehammer, aim for the back of the skull, swing. Raise, aim, swing. Raise, swing, swing, swing. I could be in that cage tomorrow, like that gray-haired old woman. What did she say her name was? See, I don't even remember. She could be my sister and I might crack her skull wide with a sledge in the morning and I don't know her name. After I bribe the guard, he lets me into the warehouse. I'm used to taking bribes, he says. Everyone sneaks out a piece of meat now and again. I close the door so I can be alone and throw the light switch. One bank of lights blasts on above me, then another, then another. The blinding cascade rolls away into the pens like some storm where the lightning never fades. I peer through the tangle of chain link and rusted poles, shoulders skulking between shadows, chests heaving with breath, heads cocked at all different angles staring numbly at the blazing metal sky. Lord, how many in this warehouse alone? And we're just a discount dead meat shipper for cattle too rotten to ship alive. I feel eyes on me. Thousands, maybe millions of eyes. Eyes that no business doesn't start for hours. In the presence of so much sweating, blood-pumping life, the hunger floods like lava into my belly. It fills my lungs, my throat, pushes my jaw wide, 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 until it unhinges. I could eat them all. Every one. What am I here for? Am I a savior or a destroyer? Even I don't know. I walk between the first row of cages and soon the whispers start. She's alone. There's only one of them. Why is she here? I don't care. There's only one of them. Maybe we can kill her. Maybe we can get out. Get to the resistance. I feel the edge of their hate sharpening, heating up. Cages shake, catches and latches, rattle. But I grab up a sledgehammer as I pass the killing station, an instant silence, perfect and complete. What are you here for? Comes a voice. It's an old man older than any I've seen, grade D for sure. I'm here for my sister. Whispers like the waves of ocean, a girl runs to the old man's ear and mutters something to him. He thinks for a moment, nods. She is here. I will take her then. And where will you take her? He is small, withered, stooped, with a white beard as long as he is tall. But there is something powerful about his eyes. Instinct makes me grip the hammer tighter. Outside to the mountains, to the resistance. There is no more resistance. There has to be. There's nothing for you both but inquisitors, the fear of annihilation. 
death. But she asked me to rescue her. You're not the only sympathizer we've had. That's why the church is there, you know. That's part of why Inquisitors exist. To eliminate Z's just like you. You don't really think you can beat the church, do you? I look at the naked, sweating bodies crowded all around. The diseased eyes, the bruised legs. The swollen and pus-filled cuts of life. I remember the way these people tore the bodies of their own dead to pieces just two days back. They are nothing but desperate and miserable sacks of organs, grown and fed to fill supermarket shelves. There's no resistance left in them. I'm taking her, right now. I have the hammer. There are always hammers, all of them about to fall. No matter where you stand, there is a hammer. Then you keep your hammers and I'll keep mine. Then my sister is there, her flesh pressed to the wire at the filter cages. I don't wait for the old man to say anything. I pull the lever on the first filter cage and she crams herself in while the others claw at her back. Near dawn, we drive through an abandoned checkpoint. The military should be there, but there is only an empty booth, a broken gate. We curve through the hills and into the mountains, and there are no tanks, no helicopters, no sign of war except ancient burned-out craters, trees long toppled and grown over, the occasional abandoned shoe. My sister sobs at the window. I know I've made a mistake. I'd imagine joining the resistance, taking the cure, living in a tent, free. I pull off road and through a dirt track and park on an overlook. Below us rolls a mist with only the skeletons of trees sticking through. There's nothing left, is there? I ask. I thought, there has to be. The army's not even out here anymore. It must have been years ago. I look over at her and suddenly I'm starving. My body is so hot it shakes and I'm so shaky the whole car rattles. Only by a miracle has my jaw not unhinged. She senses something wrong but leans closer instead of backing away. Is she tempting me? Why? Jody? I clench my teeth together, images of eating her ricochet inside my skull. I could peel her skin away in one ruby sheet, gnaw her heart, but I force myself calm, calmer. Remember our Lord Zachary, I tell myself, push away the Pharaoh. You okay? Not really, we should leave. Yes, wait, no. She opens the door and runs around the car and in floods a cool and wet wind that licks my cheeks and teases my nose. I open my own door, half stand. She kneels by the edge of the road pointing. I come closer, but all I see is a rose bush. There, she says, three cuts on the stem. See them? They're fresh. So? This is how we signal each other. There's still people out here hiding, trying to find others. We stand, staring around, but only creaking branches and drips of water call to us. 
Three weeks later, she says, I think we should give up. This has been her mantra for several days, but now she adds something new. You don't really want to be human anyway, do you? Yes, I do. Right now I've never wanted anything more. But why? There's no disease out here, no old age, precious little suffering. It's paradise, or as close as you get. I punch the wall. It's not paradise, not anywhere close. Don't you see it? We're all terrified out here. Of the hunger, of going feral again and having the Inquisition hunt us down? It could happen any day. Miss a paycheck, get fired, lose your home, starve, go feral, die. We're all trapped out here, crammed together, desperate, rotting, suffering. You don't think we're suffering too? We eat each other, Jody. At least you have an excuse, you're sick. We're just desperate. Why did you ask me to rescue you? Was it all just an act? She frowns, looks hurt. It's not like that. It's just, I don't think we'll ever find the resistance. We haven't found one bomb, one trap. I don't even know for sure if there is a resistance. I just think, what? Maybe you should turn me into a Z again. You want to be a Z? Never being sick, never dying? What's a little rot? A little maggotiness from time to time. I mean, all you have to do is keep your wounds clean and the virus preserves you. It's a lot better than living in a cage and eventually having your skull caved in. I don't want to live under hammers anymore. Think about what I just told you. Think about what the old man said. He was right. There's always a hammer. I have been thinking about this since before we met. I was a Z before and I want to go back. You want to be human again and I get that. I really do. And I can help you. I know how to make the serum. It was all over the radio during the end days. I thought everyone knew it. You have to help me first. The words are strangely bitter to hear, as if somehow she is betraying me or I am betraying her now that we want different things. All I need is one little bite, Jody. Just one bite to tip the virus load. All right, fine. She smiles and sticks her arm under my nose. My jaw slips wide, but I push her arm away. Not yet. Not yet? When you change, you'll forget the cure. It's Swiss cheeses, your brain, the fever, and you'll probably be feral too. I need the cure in my hand first. We'll trade. Her mouth looks like she's chewing on something sour. Fine, we'll trade then. Good, I say, but it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah, whatever. With Mandy's help, I find the right herbs. There are about a dozen of them, some growing wild, others I have to steal from abandoned gardens. One I locate in the mountains, but it's the wrong season. Seed by seed, we add them to the shoebox on the windowsill. I watch her as she enriches the soil, tends to them. 
It seems impossible that any life can be brought into this dead world, but sprout they do, pale leafed hands praising the sun. My rent check bounces twice and the landlady threatens to evict me. I hawk everything I own, the couch, the bed, the TV, everything. I pay half my rent off and somehow, Lord knows how, I convince her not to call the Inquisitors. But hunger is the real problem. Food for two eating the money and I can't buy enough for either of us. Everything I try to cook seems to make her sick, but I'm starving too. She looks so tasty. Lord Z, so tasty. On the day Mandy's chosen to prepare the serum, I leave work early. I buy three fish at the market and burn them black and carry them poorly wrapped and stinking through the apartment complex. Lord Z, the serum better work or I'm done. The smell will make the landlady call the Inquisitors for sure. I knock on my own door, the three wraps that mean all clear. I expect Mandy standing on the other side with a cup of serum. But when I open the door, Mandy is on the carpet, sweating, writhing, rolling in her own vomit. The fish drop like forsaken flowers to the floor and I rush to her side. What happened? I'm starving. The cubes in the, the fridge. The chicken? Tried to cook them. Guess I didn't. How much did you eat? She vomits on me then. The stink of it overwhelms me, but I hold her close and rock her and do the best to ignore the unhinging of my jaw. Then over the stink, I smell the serum burning. Mandy. The serum, is it done? Couldn't quite. The flames are still burning away in the kitchen sink. Lord Z, everything could be ruined. I rush across the floor, there's a cup full of yellow juice. It's supposed to be green. What's missing, Mandy? Blue bonnet, dandelion. She coughs, vomits again. Her bowels erupt and spill across the floor. I glance among the bottles. There, the blue bonnet, crushed but not added. Where's the dandelion? I think I'm going to die, Mandy says. Gotta change me. Jody. Gotta. Lord Z, the dandelion's still cooking. I grab the pan, rush to the bottles. Jody. I need you. Need you. I pour as carefully as I can. Burned bits flake off the pan, mix in deep. I hope it's not too much damage. Don't let me die. I've got it, the serum. It looks right, I think. I come back to my sister, kneel in her filth, cradle her. Mandy, I've got it. Mandy, thank you. I've got it. Fists pound on the door. The landlady's voice screeches high. What's going on in there? You're burning my place down. You better stop whatever you're up to. I've called the Inquisitors already, and they're on their way. 
A plan forms in my head. I can take the serum, bite her, and climb out the window long before the Inquisition gets here. Then I'll go to the mountains, find the other humans. They have to be there. I put the bottle to my lips, but Mandy raises her hand and pushes my arm away. Me first. All right, I lie. I drink the serum down in one gulp, and hoping it doesn't work instantly, I lean over. The lava-like fever rises from my belly in an instant and pushes my jaws wide, wider, widest. Pop. I am unhinged. I have to be a Z still, right? My teeth sink in. It tastes so good. I need to stop. Have to stop. Oh, so good. The Inquisitors. Oh, the flesh. Three years later, the gate comes down and the crowd pushes through into the holding pen. When I was a Z, I believed the humans didn't know what was waiting for them on the other side of the gate. I believe they thought it was a better world, a cage with more space. But now, I have lived among the cattle, lived with the fear of hammers and the suffering and the stink and disease, and I understand. They know what is on the other side. When they fight, to get through, they are fighting to die because there can be no escape, no resistance, no life in the mountains, no hope. Only swollen bruises and pus and hacking coughs and the slow degradation of self. Elbows and knees and fists begin to fly. We are fighting, fighting to break through to save a little bit of our self-respect. Someone cracks me good across the teeth and I spit out a molar. I duck, twist, nearly get trampled. My attacker flies over me. Then I am weaseling through the rest toward the mouth-like gates. But already the mouth is closing. I lash out with a kick. Three men stumble. I leap out across their backs. I grab the wire. The gate is rising. I've seen this before. I know what is coming. One is a six-year-old boy I've never met. The other is my sister, her arm only a twisted toothpick of what it once was. Up, up, up we go. My sister reaches for my heel to pull me back. She doesn't want me to escape if she can't. The gate slams shut and the chain link fence shudders. The boy falls away and tumbles into the upreaching arms of the crowd below. Not long now. Not long. I crest the top of the fence, swing over, dart down the other side. Damn it, Mandy, leave me alone. Let go, she says. She pries at my fingers and I slip and struggle to cling on. He's gonna fry us. Let go. There might still be a way out. There's no way out, I say as I reach for another handhold, but my fingers slip. I'm only up there by three of them now, just a few seconds longer, only need a few seconds. Mandy pries the last of my fingers loose and I fall. Then I hear the sizzle, see the blue eels above me. Mandy is dancing. 
dancing, dancing. The crowd below me catches me. I think for a second they will tear me apart, but I am still alive and among us there is an unwritten law not to eat the living. A large man sets me down on my feet. Three seconds later, my sister stops dancing. She tumbles down into the far cage and I close my eyes. The tearing begins. Then another blare of horn. The leather tiles start to slide over each other. The floor sinks in the middle. The funnel mouth irises open. Despite all of us wanting to die, we scramble away from the pit below. Somehow we still don't want to meet the hammer. But down we go. By twos, by threes. Then little, lonely me. Some struggle, try to climb. But canola oil slicks the walls, and no matter the struggle or the fight, everyone falls. Gravity and fate sort us into our proper places. Then the bars come down, lock us in place. The dark funnel, constricted on all sides. How did I get here? I've always been here. I remember the mountains, the slash-marked roses, the hope of walking free and living in the sun. Outside is the dawn, and an oak tree, bark dark with dew. Soon, soon I will be there. Darkness, men whisper in the void. The furnace growls below, enraged, hungry. A distant sound of hammers. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Two weeks of sister stories here on the Drabblecast, but both pretty contrasting and both pretty far from little women. Hey, you know the drill. If you had a good time with us the past 30 minutes, consider checking us donation. You can do so quite conveniently from our website, Drabblecast.org. We really do appreciate it. So, gotta get going here, folks. But first, our weekly Twobble story winner. This week, first-timer Danger Slater with this 100-character story. The self-loathing monster stood in front of his bathroom mirror. He let out a sigh. He didn't believe in himself either. Poor monster. Gotta believe in yourself, follow your heart. Believe in your heart and follow yourself. Got Twitter? Follow us at the Drabblecast. Good times. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change any of it, don't sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, Podcast Alley, blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. We'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a mass of clamoring tallow-skinned monkeys, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, that ain't anywhere near how your mother tasted.
Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Mm-mm, not she. They, maybe? W- wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often?